Hi, I'm April. And I'm Steph. And you're listening to The Thirst. You can find us online, Twitter, we're at The Thirst, facebook.com forward slash The Thirst Pod. We're on Instagram at The Thirst Pod. Our SoundCloud is soundcloud.com forward slash The Thirst Pod. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and other podcast apps by searching for The Thirst. We're also now on Spotify. And if you want to send us an email, you can do. It's thethirstpod at gmail.com. Um, if you want to send us some feedback and questions. Our last episode, I believe, was a mailbag. So thanks for everyone who got in touch and sent us some uh, lovely questions for that we've also got our blog as well which is the thirstpod.wordpress.com which is up to date with links and other additional nice things you might find that useful to support the episodes that you've listened to this is episode 41 some 41 favorite band of my youth uh that's the only thing i could come up with fat that, lip. that was of interest yeah fat lip uh, I found two random film trivia things, oh, go on. which are actually quite boring, but I'm going to say them anyway. These are so random, I don't know who added these onto Wikipedia. So 41 is the victim number that appears on Dr. Lucy Linsky's forehead in the Peter Jackson film, The Frighteners. Very niche. Sure. And 41 is also the precinct number that appears on the police car in the film Ghostbusters during the earthquake moment. Of the film's climax, <laughs> according to, to Wikipedia. Good to know. Um, Some 41's pretty much it, though, isn't it? Some 41 was the thing that immediately sprung to mind for me, oh, and that yes. was the thing I was just going to stick with, so... Pretty much. Got some celebrity birthdays. Oh, go 41. on. Go on. Uh, Ian Summerholder, my favourite oh, Empire Diaries star, who is just painfully boring in real life. Yep. Really hot on TV, boring in real life, mm-hmm. very regrettable. Uh, Usher. Ursha. John Legend. Did John Legend Ursha. 41? Wow. Yeah, apparently. James Franco. Gross. Uh, <laughs> Rachel McAdams. Good. Fine. fine. Diplo. Do we fancy I Diplo? I fancy Diplo so much. That's an entire yeah, episode fine. we could dedicate to that. Yeah, we've uh, we've definitely ascertained that, haven't we? Uh, and Bill Hader. <laughs> oh, my God. Lovely Bill. Lovely Bill Hader. Lovely, lovely Happy Bill. birthday to all of those people. Happy Bill Hader day. Shall we, um, shall we address the elephant in the room? Yeah, do you mean all the elephant that's, like, not in the room? Yeah, so um, if this episode sounds strange, it's not because we're it's 8 o'clock on a Thursday and we're slightly hysterical, but also that we're not doing it in the same room for the first time ever in, in two years. Wah, wah, wah. Hate it. Hate for it. obvious reasons, which will go unnamed, um, we are not recording at, at the moment and probably won't be for a while together. The big C word. The big yes, C word. Yeah. So um, we're doing this distance in a really funny setup. So we're hoping that it will work. We're hoping to do this on a regular basis to stop ourselves from going slightly insane. Um, be quite nice to use it as an opportunity to podcast more because we haven't got anything else <laughs> at all going on in our diaries. Uh, I'm actually really busy now watching all of the television in the world. So True. I truly haven't looked at my diary for seven days. Will I ever need to look at my diary again? No, got no plans. Um, I checked my diary earlier, actually, because I, I don't know why I did for the first time in about a week. And I was just so like, oh, yeah, this is a thing I used to be so reliant on. And now... Did you look at all the stuff that you're not doing? Yeah, I think it's why I put it down. And I was like, time is just an illusion now. It doesn't make any sense. Time's not real. Every it's None of it's real. I'm not even sure anything outside this 
house is real to be honest i had to check that it was thursday when i said it was thursday a second ago because i was like who, who knows what day it is or what month it is fully losing our who mind. knows anyway we're not going to talk about this sort of big thing because it's just we want this to be a bit of a distraction and i'm sure that you're all kind of mainlining as much of the news as you are i don't know as you want to or you're choosing to opt out like perhaps we are a little bit so um this is a kind of i don't know free zone to kind of Free zone, because the last thing I need is another fucking podcast episode on it, that's for sure. Yeah, that's for sure. So um, if the format kind of gets a little bit different going forward, it's probably because there isn't as much celebrity exciting news going on and there aren't as many new films or things to talk about. But we're, we've are we got some ideas going and for the time being, at least anyway, things will maintain in a kind of regular <laughs> we'll fashion. Keep going. Regul ske- reg- regul regular scheduling with some... Uh, live stream live stream reviews that sort of imagine thing. if this is a thing that finally pushes us to do a weekly podcast <laughs> oh my god well i need i need to find something to fill my time that sounds positive right. so uh, can i do a very cool smooth segue into our news Go on. which it's the only c word we're gonna mention Go on. and it's daniel craig's seamless gq seamless i love it seamless love it. seamless yeah so this is uh, our news this episode as April mentioned, uh, not a lot is fucking going on no. uh, because the, there is no other news except that news. Um, so we're looking at a couple of things that happened a little while ago, one of which was Daniel Craig's GQ interview and shoot, which was on the 11th of March. So that was quite a while ago. But I just think it needs discussing and interrogating, really, because firstly, I didn't ever think we would be discussing Daniel Craig on our podcast at length in any way. I mean, we briefly mentioned him when we talked about Knives Out. Yes, we did. But I think that's literally it. I mean... That's literally it. So I think this was the thing that made me have to publicly air the fact that I definitely like have previously had quite a big crush on Daniel Craig. And when I read this GQ article... As well as the looked at the accompanying photo shoot, I was oh my god the photo. I was quite. I was just really reminded by actually how much I quite like Daniel Craig as a person. He's actually a good dude, isn't he? He's a nice dude. He seems quite humble. He does super humble. He's very self deprecating in this like in this entire article. He's just very like doesn't take a compliment. No. I think I used to fancy him quite a lot when he was first James Bond. Yeah, so I, it was like yes, and then I sort of went off him for a bit. Did you? Um, did you ever? Have you ever seen the film Layer Cake? Yes, I have. I was like very strangely obsessed with the film Layer Cake for for a while. I think that's fair. There's some hotties in there. It's got a great cast. It's got Ben Whishaw in it as well, who also is then in James Bond, which is a nice look. It's got a very early Tom Hardy performance. Yeah, we always love those classic Tom Hardy early performances. Sienna Miller sure oh yeah yeah sienna do we like her probably not she's fine isn't she um it's but it's a it's just a weird film to get like really into but yeah he's i don't know he's good it seems very on brand for you but i think daniel craig's pretty nice this was a nice like nice interview to go into we'll talk about the photos in a bit it was interesting to find out that he was cast as bond at 37 in 2005 and is now 52 yeah so i had like no real concept of actually how old he was and it was, I had to sort of, because I know that Rachel Weiss, his wife, recently turned 50. So I thought like, oh, he has to be around oh, a similar age. She is a babe. Yeah. Um, but I didn't believe, I don't know he was 52. Based on these pictures, 
He is a ripped 52-year-old. He is a r- extremely, like, comically ripped 52-year-old. It even then mentions his, like, twinges of arthritis in this article, <laughs> just to, like, really layer it on. He is, like, peak, so like, funny. ripped old man, though. Like, cannot believe. That first picture, I think you shared it on Twitter, it does look like they've just pasted his head onto his body. Yeah. Like someone else's body. I spent a lot of time staring at it in an attempt to kind of figure out whether actually it was real or not. Um... Like, what is going on here? It's very strange. I really like the shoot. I think it's a very good photo shoot. I like a lot of the clothes in it. Also various states of undress, but um, the clothes are really nice. GQ do good photos. They just We've said this a million times. It's sort of on par with, like, the Brad Pitt sexy mm. older man level of photo shoot. Yeah. Really liked the fact that he did a lot of swears in the article. Oh yeah, I love and that. some crying. Seemed like a really intense interview. Yeah, did some did some swears and some crying. It is um it is quite funny to think about the fact that so this original photo shoot and obviously magazine profile and art and cover story sorry would have come it was meant to coincide with the release of um no time to die but obviously that's been pushed back now clearly ain't happening for a while no that's happening in november now apparently um so it's it's been funny to sort of see him have to kind of do a little bit of press so he hosted saturday night live a couple of weeks ago which again would have coincided with the beginning of bond press so it's kind of funny that like this has just come out and then it's just like, oh, yeah. It's just going to be dead in the water for a while. Yeah, right. Um, we could dine out on these photos for a while, though. It was a nice visual treat, I will say. It was. It was lovely. A couple of things that, uh, a couple of parts I wanted to draw attention oh, to were um, a quote from J- John Mabry, the director, who highlighted, quote, those icy blue eyes. And he said, oh, part of you wants to trust him and wants to believe in all the nice guy stuff but there's something in those eyes that is quite psychotic. The navy blue circle around the edge of the blue. He does have eyes like a husky. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. And then they also refer to it as, uh, or him as, that beautiful boxer's face, those gas ring eyes. He does He does have the face of a boxer. Like, he's got a very weathered face. He's craggy, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's like, be honest. he's fully seen he's some craggy. stuff. He's done some things. He's seen some stuff. I do definitely fancy him, though. I thought about it quite a lot, and I fancy him quite a lot. He seems he seems very lovely. I was I was I don't I never really had a sense of Daniel Craig as a person mm, to be honest no. before recently because I haven't spent a lot a lot of time on it. But uh yeah, SNL and this GQ interview really endeared me to him. I think he's a nice guy. I think it's been it'll be really interesting to see what he does when he's finally out of like the Bond machine because obviously he did Knives Out uh, last year this year what year is it at this point um, he did Knives Out are they going to do a sequel to I that I think they're supposed to be aren't they I think it's being discussed yeah it? so he'll be back um, being Benoit Blanc in that but it'll be interesting to see the types of roles that he chooses after that and um, when once he's no longer having to be James Bond so uh, good for you are you looking forward to this film the the new James Bond yeah I quite um, I quite like him as Bond I think he actually might be my favourite Bond I think he's great as Bond like I know and again they highlight this in the article they talk a lot about how there was so much outrage when he was first cast Mm. and how like outraged fans were setting up websites like Daniel Craig is not Bond it's mad really original (laughs) but I think he, he's I think he's turned it around, hasn't he? Everyone really likes him. I don't know anyone who doesn't like him as Bond. No, it's a completely different type of James Bond. It's a very modern Bond as well. And mm. I mean, like, 
I have fondness for some of those older films completely and obviously growing up like in the kind of Pierce Brosnan era um, mm. it is such a stark contrast God, yeah. but um, so different. yeah I really I mean I really like Skyfall I think Skyfall is one of my favourite yeah. Bond films so um, yeah it'll be it'll be interesting to see what direction they go in after that um, for the actual franchise itself and also the direction that he goes in himself uh, when it comes to choosing new roles. Yeah, and I think this film could be really, I don't know, it's really interesting, like Carrie Fukunaga um, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah, That's, doing the script. You know, that'd be interesting. Um, so I imagine we might actually go to the cinema and see that and review it. I hope so. So if you haven't seen that GQ article or the SNL episode featuring Daniel Craig, we highly really recommend you go and check those out as a nice distraction from the real world. And another nice distraction... Uh, was something that we've been saving up and finally watched today, streaming simultaneously, and that was uh, Mr. Harry Styles's Tiny Desk. It was set. it was a nice little afternoon treat we gave ourselves today, hadn't we? I think we'd um, we'd both been mutually avoiding it for um, oh, honestly, I totally have various reasons. The the reason being, we were supposed to see Harry in uh, about a month's time, and it's now not happening. And I think that we just can't even. We were both um, slightly aware of the fact that the tiny desk, though it, it would have brought joy, it would also bring a lot of sadness for us both, um, just because you know cancellation of plans is a bummer um but we such a bummer decided to turn of do it today and um i'm really glad that we did me too it was it was a ray of sunshine that i absolutely needed uh just lovely i was really worried it was going to make me cry quite a lot but it didn't i know it just made no, me really think, happy do you know what i think i've just run out of tears but that's completely a, that's an aside uh it was so good so joyful nice Sweet little set, four songs, very good songs, and uh, a little bit of Mitch. It was nice to see the gang together. <laughs> Lovely to see the gang together. Such a strong band, predominantly female. Well, actually, no, it's three and three, isn't yeah, it's three it? Yeah, three and but, three now. Uh, it's, yeah, really into the, the, the females of the band as well. And actually, I was just listening before I had dinner. I was listening to the Zane Lowe radio show today, which also featured Harry Styles. And they were talking about like members of the band, and they both basically both agreed that Sarah the drummer is the one that keeps it together so I was really into that she's just a boss I love her she's a fucking boss lady really into those ladies in that band they're very very cool I really enjoyed the song choices I really enjoyed his very on brand Harry banter in between songs loves a bit of banter you could just hear all the um like the NPR staff in the background all predominantly female just like giggling oh, every God, it was time so he funny, said anything you just know it's an all-female audience. Just really lovely. And also, I, for, I thought we sh- should also mention is the Beauty Papers shoot. Oh, yeah, of which, course. Uh, literally came out last week as <laughs> yeah. we were going into this shit, which is kind of like a repeat of Brexit when um, Fine Line came out. God, right. The day of the... Uh, <laughs> the election outcome. Yeah. So, uh, and that was amazing as well. Some very strong those strong Those pictures are just, like, next level. <laughs> He's pushing that. I feel like he's raising the bar in the sort of androgynous states yeah. each time. Completely. He gets like more androgynous, more naked, just on every occasion. It's pretty it's pretty great. I just really enjoy how he continually plays around with his styling and, and and his aesthetic and, you know, like his outward projection of who he is as an artist, as an a person. So I think that Yeah, for sure. You know, like I think I think he does get more and more credit for playing around with things like that, but it's just every every shoot that 
he does it in. It's just an extra nice bonus treat, isn't it? So nice. It always feels like it's um, a very natural thing as well. Um, And a lot of it is down to Harry Lambert as well, styling him, who is just like fucking so good. It never feels contrived or just like forced, does it? It's always very natural for him. Not at all. I love it. Loving the uh, lipstick shades he's got going on. It's just good. Oh, I really enjoyed his manicure on a tiny desk as well. It was a nice like pinky shade, wasn't it? Got really into painting his fingernails different colours, hasn't it? Just, just love it. Just love it. It was a, it was a nice little distraction this afternoon. Actually, and I'm glad we'd waited until now because I think if we'd watched it when it came out, I think it just would have been a bit of an avalanche. I think I would have imploded. There was a bit too much going on, to be honest. Good and bad. Good and so, bad. Uh, so definitely check that out if you haven't. Came at just the right time. Absolutely. Um, also, going to really do a really quick shout out to Timmy time because I know oh, Tim <laughs> there Tim. are some people that expect it on like nice leather outfit, <laughs> androgynous photo shoot moments. Um, the Days China photo shoot came out a few weeks ago. Oh yeah, that was all very leather with gloves and looking very long and leggy and all of those. All of those things. Uh, we also got him at the Hayda Ackerman shoot uh, during Paris Fashion Week where he refused to take his sunglasses off. Oh, yeah. Classic. he's a boss man. He's a and boss, man. <laughs> boss man. Or just a tart. And also, uh, 4,000 Miles is postponed. So, yeah, that was, isn't it grand? That was the other thing that sort of kicked us in the teeth, really, wasn't it? It was a... We were, we were, we were planning on doing those two days back to back and then that's now... Cannot... Even begin to explain how much of a bummer it is that my 48 hours with Harry Styles and Timothy Chalamet, with two of my best friends, is now down the fucking drain. We came so close. Uh, we tasted, we nearly came so close to tasting Literally, goodness. so good. It couldn't have been, it's, you have to laugh because it's actually quite cruel. That was going to be like the podcast of the century. Mm-hmm. And uh, alas, we just have to do it in two halves now. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Grand scheme of things, it's fine. We, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll get to it. It's fine. Yes, so I do I do need some perspective here. Don't worry. I rapidly got some perspective in the past like five days or so. Truly <laughs> has uh, set me right again. But um, yeah, just a little check in. And hopefully there'll be some news. I think. Going forward, celebrities are just going to become more and more unhinged on social media. So hopefully we'll have more stuff to discuss. I hope so. Celebrities not doing well in their houses. So onto some stuff that we've sort of been enjoying um, on the TV front before things got kind of weird for me on in what I've been watching TV wise. Um, I we... <laughs> I can't wait for you to expand on that later. Oh, Christ, on. honestly. So uh, we thought we'd kind of cover High Fidelity. Um, so yes. I watched it over a weekend um, and then you've been watching it gradually and you've now finished it. So um, for those who don't know, High Fidelity is an American romantic comedy TV series based on the novel of the same name by Nick Hornby that premiered on Hulu on February 14th, 2020. Um, all 10 episodes dropped at once on Valentine's Day. So as I said, the show is based on the novel which was released in 1995. The book itself is set in London and then of course it was followed by the film in the year 2000 which was set in Chicago and starred uh, John Cusack amongst others and directed by Stephen Frears. The show itself, so the TV adaptation was developed by Veronica West and Sarah Kirkserker who are um, had been involved with Ugly Betty amongst some other shows. The show itself stars Zoe Kravitz as Robin Rob Brooks, a record store owner in Crown Heights, Brooklyn 
Hamilton. And she has a supporting cast, which includes Jake Lacey, Divine Joy Randolph, David H. Holmes, Kingsley Benadir, and Rainbow Sun Franks, amongst others. So much like the film and the book, the show itself begins with the demise of a relationship, which then causes Rob to gradually chart her various heartbreak stories. Um, it also maintains the same fourth wall breaking style as the, fi- uh, the film does itself, um, with lots of direct talking to camera. So like I said, I mainlined this over the course of about 24 hours uh, when I was a week- staying with my mum for a weekend. Um, it <laughs> it's, is available on Hulu in the States. It's not actually available in the UK yet, as, as far as I'm aware. I definitely watched it via streaming it on the internet. (laughs) Other means. But I was so looking forward to seeing this because unfortunately I'm one of those unsufferable people who his probably entire personality was shaped quite aggressively by um, high fidelity high fidelity (laughs) watching the show itself actually made me realize that as a kind of like oh god you know that's really interesting did it yeah were you like oh god this is this is literally me by numbers yeah when I was a teenager I was really obsessed with the book and then I was really really I went through such a weird John Cusack phase oh I think a lot of teenagers did you know yeah so I was really obsessed with the film you know like I just the idea of working in a record store with your friends and just making endless lists it was like the dream I'm obsessed I'm an extremely list oriented person so (laughs) this concept of making top fives is just like crack to me yeah so I was really I was really hyped on on seeing this I was kind of apprehensive as to why they'd done it but I was really looking forward to it and um I really really enjoyed it what did you think about the show itself and kind of what your existing relationship was to the the content it's so I haven't read High Fidelity I have seen the film I love the film so I went into this kind of I don't know looking forward to it mainly because it's Zoe Kravitz Mm -hmm. and like seeing the screenshots initially was kind of like oh she just looks amazing she looks so cool it's such a good role for her I was really interested in this sort of role reversal of having like a queer female shop owner obviously in the book it's and in the film it's kind of you know it's Rob it's a guy yeah um, well, that's one of the main friends. things actually sorry I should have yeah, mentioned it's that very, it's very very masculine yeah. you've got Rob as the record shop owner um, and he's split up with his girlfriend and then he's got his employees his friends who are working with so it's very it's very male mm. orientated yeah. isn't it yeah so absolutely it was really nice to see that kind of turned on its head I really enjoyed it I really really liked it actually got completely immersed in it it's peak millennial in a lot of ways like modern New York, tons of cultural references, two cool kind of protagonist who's sort of quite selfishly fixating on her relationships. Um, It's kind of, I don't know, I could almost compare it to girls. Yeah, it gave me a a kind of um, a girlsy vibe in that sense, I think. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I think because the fact that, so in one of the episodes, Rob does turn 30, you know, that was the point where I realised that like, oh, this is absolutely why it's giving me like such a relatable vibe is that she is someone that is sort of very much the same age as us, has the same interests, like you can kind of... I don't know I just really understood where she was coming from what her perspective was and I just think that like ongoing infatuation with Zoe Kravitz aside she just makes Rob such a believable character like you're so invested she does you you just you immediately know what she's about you you know she's she's believable as a real person yeah and she's a lot more sympathetic than male Rob I think in the film completely ways like like you do get that she's being selfish and towards kind of the end of this season yeah you're totally thinking, like, wanting to scream at her and just shake her and yeah. say, like, you are making all the big mistakes, yeah. the classic mistakes. But I don't know. She's 
she's still very relatable. I don't know if it's because she's just female, but um, she's sort of, she's funny and, you know, I'm sure it'd be a lot more grating if you were actually her friend. I think, I feel like the, the gender swap in this sense has worked really well. She feels like so much less insufferable than yeah, Rob right. in the film and Rob in the book. I mean, I say that as someone that like loves them both, but I think the older I get and whenever I revisit High Fidelity, especially the film, I just become acutely aware of the fact that like Rob is largely selfish and insufferable. And he's sort of meant to be. Like, I don't think that you're meant to think that he's like an entirely faultless person but like right just by comparison i felt like tv rob was just not you know i I wanted to actively spend time with her whereas you could kind of understand why all these women in the in the film version just like just like had enough yeah completely yeah i think the dynamic between rob sharice and simon so her two friends slash employees is so good like they're so lovable and i think you can i don't know they're really really lovely but i don't think they'd be pushed i I don't think they're pushovers so you get the sense that even if rob is being insufferable at the moment Mm -hmm. she must actually be a really you know just like a person worth sticking around for because they're they're sort of patiently putting up with her yeah completely and i think that's a bit of a contrast to the film actually because i think the the relationship between simon and sharice and mm-hmm. rob in the show i feel like you can understand why they're friends how their friendships exist why they look out for yeah, each other yeah you can see you see the backstory and you get like a really you get a good understanding for it like how they work together yeah completely like you get that actually like you know like all good friendships when you know someone's having a bad day like you don't know necessarily write them off after they've been a dick like you make them you know you give them some space and then you come back together and you remember why you're friends whereas I think in the the thing I always find about the friendships in the the John Cusack version is that you kind of you get the impression that these three people are only friends via circumstance i.e the fact they're kind of slightly weird and work in a record shop there's not really an endearing level to their friendships I mean I mean yeah I mean, you can completely see the, these guys would spend time together outside of the shop as well yeah completely I mean some of the things I really enjoyed about the show is that a lot of the lines are kind of absolutely verbatim from the book and film which I thought were kind of cool and there are lots of other little easter eggs based from the book and the film as well so things like the fact that big standout one is the fact that uh, Zoe Kravitz wears a Dickies shirt which John Cusack quite famously wears in the original mm. film I mean Zoe herself is actually a bit of an easter egg because her mum Lisa Bonet played Marie de Salle in the original film and I think that that initially was what had my interest peaked when the show was announced yeah, because yeah, I immediately yeah. was yeah. like oh well that's interesting because your mum is quite famously in the film and did this amazing mm. turn in it there's a really good Rolling Stone piece actually which I'll link to that has a few of the movie references that are in the film there aren't there aren't a huge amount actually which I think is quite interesting so they they didn't overdo it no and I think that's what makes the show work to its advantage actually is that it uses them really sparingly I do like the fact that rather than Rob doing the what really matters is what you like, not um, Mm -hmm. what you are like, books, records, films, these things matter, call me shallow, but it's the fucking truth speech, is actually comes from Simon rather than Rob, which I think is really Mm. cool. The soundtrack is amazing as well. Like, Yeah, that's really, I mean, obviously it was going to be good, but it is really good. I think The the Roots Questlove serves as the musical consultant, which I think is probably very important and yeah I mean that's the reason it's so good really isn't it yeah definitely yeah I thought it was great I mean I've seen mixed reviews and I can I can kind of see both sides as in I think it's really charming Mm -hmm. really absorbing I've really liked watching it I will gladly watch a second season don't blame people if it's they find it quite forgettable in the end I mean like 
Do you know what I mean? I yeah. think it's I think, super fun. I think it really lends itself to being like almost binge watched. Like it's the first yeah, time in yeah, ages yeah. actually where I'd sat and I'd just watched the show continuously. Like I just yeah. watched They're like half twenty minute, half an hour episodes, aren't they? So it's so easy. Yeah, and it, yeah. it does sort of when I was kind of thinking back actually ahead of uh doing this episode and I was trying to think of it sort of does all blur into one a little bit, which I'm not mm-hmm, mad at. Mm-hmm. Like it's the only th- sort of real standout episode for me was the kind of the bottleneck episode which does focus on Simon more so each of the yeah, episodes yeah that's a really nice ad yeah actually. I really I liked that I liked that episode most of all I think which perhaps is not really mm-hmm. the point when you've got a female focused show but <laughs> I think it's just because it's different it was the one that stood out and everything else was sort of like a continuous nice rolling experience yeah. but I mean nice it's just frustrating but also nice yeah so I definitely would recommend anyone watch it if they get the opportunity to it is a nice distraction and it's worth spending time with especially at the moment yeah especially if you're a big music fan Absolutely. as well I think there's like some really nice conversations in that that you'll probably uh, find pretty entertaining another quick shout out uh whilst we're on the subject of television um we both finished season one of well I say season one we both finished The Outsider um, which is the Stephen King adaptation that we reviewed a couple of episodes ago. This is supposed to be a, a limited series, but I think there's a bit of a question mark over that now. I can't remember how far we were in. I think we were about halfway through when we were reviewing it. I right? feel like we had two or three episodes to go. I don't think there was much yeah. left at the end. No, it's not a huge, it wasn't a huge episode run either. So um, now we've had uh, the endings and we've seen everything kind of come together did you have, what were your overall impressions in the end? Because when we discussed it before, I think we were both pretty keen on it, um, even though we, I think there was a bit of sort of apprehension around this kind of almost like a FBI police investigation, supernatural crossover yeah. thing going on. What was your, how did you feel like it tailed out in the end well i felt like the final episode itself was a little bit of an anticlimax. i felt it was like a little bit wasn't it yeah I, for me i felt like the penultimate episode should have almost been the last episode and the and the mm, final episode mm. ended up just being like this weird like oh we've got to tie up some of these loose ends and in a kind of for sure right slightly elongated way i mean i i i really enjoyed watching it and I'm mm. I'm impressed with myself that I managed to get to the end of it because I yeah, think well done, yeah. I think one of the things we may have discussed when we did do our little bit of a recap was the fact that I was slightly apprehensive about how it was getting all too supernatural for my liking, really. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I do think that's the case. I think with the parts of it that I enjoyed the most were it were when it was very police procedural. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I did like the stuff with the caves in the sense that I, you know, the this sort of story about how some of Clyde's ancestors had mm. gone down there and searched for some boys and then it was crushed. Good but track. I just, yeah, I yeah. found all of the stuff with the grief monster, it, it all just, for me, it got a little bit too Stranger Things. And I know that's an extremely yeah, poor yeah. reference point because actually Stranger Things itself, like, consistently steals from Stephen King-esque <laughs> narratives. But, I mean, the thing for me that I, the, the real standout thing for me still is the performances like I really enjoyed Ben yeah. Mendelsohn in this I really enjoyed Cynthia Erivo like they, those were the things that kept me going every week because I think that Ben Mendelsohn in particular managed to tread this line between sort of playing someone that like wanted a resolution but was like yeah, still extremely yeah. sceptical about it and I, yeah. I really liked the fact that he was so often you know him and, and Cynthia Erivo the, the kind of 
this one two that they had back and forth as mm-hmm, their characters mm-hmm. i think that that yeah. was that was such a nice contrast and you kind of it felt very believable that you know he would be continuously skeptical about all of the supernatural stuff but she would be kind of giving him the evidence and saying like well actually you know yeah like science proves this yeah yeah, yeah completely yeah. so i mean I, I overall i think it's a it was an interesting show i am skeptical about whether or not they should do a second season mm-hmm. i think that the kind of strange sort of post-credits cliffhanger at the end of it suggests that they might do i would be quite content with it just being a you know one and done yeah, yeah. but i don't know if that's the case um, what did you think about it from like a more of a stephen <laughs> king head point of view I think I largely agree with you. Like the pacing was a bit off at the end. Definitely stuck with it for the characters, like Ralph and Holly to begin with and they're at the forefront, but also some of the characters on the periphery I really liked as well. Um, or even if I didn't like them, I was interested in them. Yeah. So I thought the actual characterization was pretty strong um, and I kept with it because I wanted to see what happened with them. Yeah. I'll, obviously, I don't mind the supernatural crossover, but... Um, if anyone is interested in kind of Stephen King in particular, the Losers Club podcast did a really interesting discussion of The Outsider at the end. And they were talking about how Stephen King's endings aren't always the strongest. Yeah. And it's almost like he comes up with a really great premise and a really good idea for you know like a baddie Mm -hmm. or you know this idea of like a crime a horrible crime being committed and the person who was seen committing it was actually thousands of miles away like that's a really good premise and it's so strong it's almost impossible to like tie that up nicely so he kind of creates a problem for himself by coming up with really good ideas. It's quite funny because I think even from my like lack of knowledge about Stephen King generally across the board historically, the one thing I do know is that he has a real tendency to like stick the fall a little bit on endings. Yeah, yeah. Just doesn't know how to get out of them. No, I think even from my like quite literal outsider perspective, um, that's what it felt a little bit like with the show really is that the kind of... Yeah. I mean, are you planning on reading the book? now i w- i have got it uh, so i will get to it eventually it's not a huge book actually Stephen king's got quite into um writing shorter things recently it would seem which is good i would like to read it i'm interested um i think they made the kind of the grief aspect as in like ralph's mm-hmm. the portrayal of grief with kind of ralph and his wife with their son um is absent in the book oh, okay. so this idea of sort of I just thought that really added to it. And yeah, it was a really interesting portrayal of grief. And El Cuco is obviously this sort of grief eater that feeds off people's tragedy. And I found that really interesting. And there's a couple of interesting moments near the end where Ralph sees his son and all kinds of things that I was really interested in. Um, And I don't know whether I'd get them in the same way in the book, but I will read it. I'm kind I was like, as you said, I was fine with a cliffhanger. I don't feel like I need a second series at all. Not really sure what they do, but if they do it, fine. I just feel like it will be more of the same, but not in an interesting way. Mm, Yeah. There was a couple of small details which um, I'd read about, which were kind of interesting in that final episode around. This is a bit of a spoiler, so make sure you've seen the end if you listen to this. But around Holly, because obviously the post credit scene kind of heavily hints that maybe Holly is now uh, infected quote-unquote infected there's a point where she asks who terry is to ralph oh yeah he mentions terry and she says who's terry which is like a really weird just like blip in time where you kind of think like what the hell is she talking about why doesn't she remember him and then it moves on 
Um, and also in that post credit sequence, she's listening to the song that Ralph's mum really liked that he listened to in the car on the way to the hospital when she was dying. So it's kind of, there are a few little things that I hadn't really picked up on and only really noticed afterwards that I thought like, oh, that's kind of like, you know, it was a bit clever, actually. There were some clever elements, but um, I don't I don't think it justifies a second season. But I guess if the I think the ratings were pretty good overall. We made like 50,000 comparisons to True Detective last time and I, I hate myself for doing it. But again, this season of The Outsider kind of felt similar in terms of pacing to that last season of True Detective where it all kind of fell flat near the end. Yeah, that was the comparison that I was going to make as well, actually, is that I feel like it just didn't pan out how I was hoping to. And by the end of it, I think I was more sceptical than I was perhaps in those initial middle, yeah, beginning sure. to middle parts. But it was it was good. It was for, for a Stephen... It's not a waste of time. No, and for me, from, you know, a person who so rarely engages with any Stephen King-based content, it was, a, it was mm-hmm. something different, nice. Yeah, I think characterization is often what he does best. Mm-hmm. Like when we've discussed any kind of King property on this podcast, it's often been around, like with it, for example, yeah. it's like the characters are the thing yeah. that we end up talking about for a long time. Yeah. And I think he is really great at doing that. I think it was like, it was one of the better adaptations, definitely. So um, that's some sort of TV chat done. On to movies. Now, we'll be quite honest and say that when it comes to movies, <laughs> we don't have much to discuss. <laughs> Mostly because you can't go to the cinema anymore. <laughs> Cinema's not a thing anymore, apparently. Not a thing anymore. It's This is the thing that's actually making me most sad is the prospect of not being able to go to the cinema for a while. Oh my God, don't, And also honestly. the fact that if we'd known it was the last time we would go, we were going to go to the cinema, we maybe would have seen something you else. Might have gone more than seen this one thing. Literally the last thing that we saw at the cinema. Do you remember that back in the day? Like 10 days ago, wild, was True History of the Kelly Gang. Who would have expected this to be the last thing I ever saw at the cinema. Right, you can tell your grandchildren that one day. So, True History of the Kelly Gang is a 2019 British-Australian biographical Western film directed by Justin Kurzel, based on the 2000 novel of the same name, which was written by Peter Carey. It stars George McKay, Essie Davis, Nicholas Holt, Orlando Schwert, Thomas M. McKenzie, Sean Keenan, Charlie Hunnam and Russell Crowe, plus some extra people. Justin Kurzel, if you're not familiar with his work, directed a film called Snowtown, as well as the term and two Michael Fassbender films, oh, really? Macbeth and Assassin's Creed. Assassin's Creed. I like Li- Macbeth literal... and Assassin's Creed. Two ends of the spectrum there. So the film itself charts the history of Ned Kelly and his gang as they flee from authorities during the 1870s. Ned was a 19th century Australian bushranger and outlaw whose life has inspired numerous works in popular culture, especially in Australia where he's viewed by some as a Robin Hood-like figure. Von will be able to actually tell us if that's true <laughs> We should have got should have got Von on this review just to be like give us a give us an explanation of uh, colonial Australia maybe next episode we'll have like a Ned Kelly corrections corner <laughs> can we <laughs> so if you don't know what a bushranger is because I didn't really so no this idea. is from Wikipedia so bear with so bushrangers were originally escaped convicts in the early years of the British settlement of Australia who used the Australian bush as a refuge to hide from the authorities by the 1820s the term bushranger had evolved to refer to those who took up robbery under arms as a way of life using the bush as their base there have been two other kind of key film 
film portrayal. So Ned Kelly has appeared in lots of different popular culture across mm-hmm. film, TV, plays, literature. But the two key film portrayals, these again are two like absolute polar opposites. So <laughs> Go on. in 1970, he was portrayed by Mick Jagger. What? Was he really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in 2003, <laughs> he was also portrayed by Heath Ledger. So there I mean, we go. Jesus Christ, that is too bastard, too quite really, the combo. really opposite. Have you googled Mick Jagger as Ned Kelly? I didn't bother, no, <laughs> at all. Post that later. That is truly horrendous. Well, I'll stick that in the tweet thread. So, <laughs> like I said, this was the last thing we saw at the cinema. I can't really remember why we were particularly keen to see it. To be honest, I think it was for Charlie Hunnam's face. And Earl Cave, son of Nick Cave, who we both love dearly. We do love him. What a lovely, sweet boy. Because we wanted to see him act. We wanted to see Charlie Hunnam naked. Oh, also, I wanted to confirm whether I fancied George McKay or not. Oh, yes, which we can certainly get on to in a bit. So, yeah. The film itself is kind of split into kind of two different narratives, I suppose. So you begin with the beginning of Ned's life and then you've got Ned from kind of... I don't know, mid to late teens and then into adulthood as the mm. kind of his gang involvement emerges. Mm. Um, what did you think of the film? So I had absolutely no expectations for this. I do not have a detailed knowledge of the history of Ned Kelly, nor do I understand bush rangers. Only just found out that they are people who do quite literally range in bushes. I gathered that this was autobiographical, but would also introduce some fictional elements. I think it's very, very fictionalised. Yeah, think. yeah. But I mean... To be honest, I surprisingly enjoyed it quite a lot. I thought it kind of seemed to like subvert the legend by providing quite a lot of background story rather than focusing on primarily Ned as an adult in his gang. So there was a lot of looking at where he came from, sort of dysfunctional family, abuse. His father is very... he's been berated for his lack of masculinity he sort of he secretly cross-dresses which is something that he's mocked for and then he's very much absent Ned's mother is abusive and she's abused by many men and Ned sort of grows up with this very angry idea of what it means to be a man of the family um, Mm -hmm. because of the way that he's been raised with his mum and his family yeah so he has this huge amount of pent-up anger and resentment and confusion about his position and about the family as sort of Irish immigrants living in colonial Australia but also among like the British upper class yeah so there's all this kind of stuff going on and it looks at his early some of his early relationships with sort of Russell Crowe's character and how they're also quite damaging basically the men in this are really horrible including Charlie Hunnam and Nicholas Holt you don't see a lot of the gang activity until the kind of final climax of the film so most of it as I say is focused on the way that the myth the legend was sort of created which I really liked and I thought it was beautifully shot it's really it looks lovely doesn't it I mean I think I was the same as you really I don't think I had any expectation for it and I I think I was just interested because we'd seen the trailer I think when we'd seen we'd been at the cinema to Mm -hmm. see something else and the cast intrigued me the cast was um, pretty strong wasn't it I'd read a few things about the kind of I don't know the, the take it had on masculinity mm. and, and the, the sort of general con- kind of contrasting portrayal it had of Ned Kelly in sort of difference to a lot of the existing mm, kind of popular mm, culture mm. representations of him but I did really enjoy it like I th- I've thought about it a lot more mm. since seeing it than I ever thought I would at the time <laughs> me too it was it really it was actually like so I, I really enjoyed that almost two act structure the yeah I thought it was really I thought that was really strong as well I feel like the context you get for for Ned's upbringing and the relationships that he 
he has with his parents and then you know his acknowledgement of his place in the world within this kind of new and emerging colonial That was all very interesting. It was, wasn't it? And I feel like it gives you perfect context for like why he kind of becomes the character that he does. Yeah. You get the kind of the climatic ending as completely. Well. He builds up to this big crescendo, but um yeah. I thought it was yeah, really nicely paced. Looks beautiful from that kind of opening shot with the person on the horse riding through the landscape and then yeah. that amazing shootout at the end with the kind of the English constabulary like it's almost like glow in the dark UV yeah. craziness I feel like the use of colour in this is really interesting yeah, because you've got kind of like bright flashes and contrast mm. to this sort of like dry outback area I think mm. that one of the things I know that we immediately talked about afterwards was the use of costuming in it oh my god the costumes are so good one of the things I sort of couldn't tell whether it was intentional or not was the kind of choice to maybe not to use elements of costuming that aren't necessarily period appropriate mm-hmm. so it is set in the 18 kind of hundreds but mm. there were lots of aspects of the costuming that definitely seemed a little bit more up to date and modern and yeah 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 there was a really interesting article i think it was a dazed one which i will link to when i do the blog but it was really interesting to read actually to sort of it was an interview with the costume designer from mm the mm. film where she talks about how they kind of tried to keep things period appropriate but then mm. also would sort of throw in kind of like out of kilter things to sort of give it this out of time feel mm. I did think one of the things so there's a lot a really heavy use of dresses in the film and one of the things yeah. that you immediately said afterwards was how it reminded you a lot of The Vampire's Wife which is Earl Cave's mum Susie Cave oh my god like there um, were so many scenes in line. this film where Earl just looked like the spit of Susie Cave with so the dress funny. and the long hair so funny so that was it was so funny and then you obviously linked afterwards to that article which talked about the dresses prompted Susie Cave to, <laughs> yeah. to, to to collaborate with Alice Babbage who is the the costume designer on Vampire's Wife collection so it's really funny that actually they were quite closely connected they had to be yeah because right? it's so they look so similar but yeah again really likes this use of the dresses and kind of the dresses as a form of sort of weird armor that's in quite a contrast to the armor at the end and yeah and I, th- I think that that says a lot to do with like you said this sort of take on masculinity and what it means to mm. be a man and it's like it's quite a sexually charged film without there it being is. a lot of gratuitous sex in it and there's yeah. a lot a lot of kind of exploration of the closeness of male relationships mm. and I think there is I think you could easily watch this and see an undertone of kind of implied queerness in yeah, it particularly yeah. from Ned's point of view Absolutely, it's also like surprisingly gory as well the end is really graphic brutal it's really super brutal, brutal. <laughs> Did, have you ever seen any of Justin Kurtzel's other films like have you seen Snowtown? Uh, no, I've seen Macbeth. <laughs> See, Snowtown's interesting because it's based on the Snowtown murders, which are quite a famous mm, mm. Australian case. And I, I've started to watch it and I couldn't get through it because it was actually quite Was it really intense. graphic? I think because the Snowtown murders themselves are quite grisly. It's like not particularly pleasant. I mean, no Sounds like something I'd be very interested in April. I'm interested in going back to it, actually, because I think I watched it um, around the time it came out, actually, and I just thought mm. like, nope, not for me today. Might but it is quite interesting to sort of think about how that particular kind of shootout scene was just very very gory and I think that's why it has such an impact actually because the film itself isn't particularly no, it's fairly o- muted in terms of yeah. its kind of violence isn't it until the end yeah definitely it's super crazy but uh, yeah I really really enjoyed it I think there are some really good stand-up performances in it Russell Crowe is not <laughs> someone I particularly care for really I ever. could truly leave Russell Crowe by the wayside 
ride for the rest of my life. He was really good as Harry Power in this. He was. It was short but sweet, wasn't it? Yeah, I liked the song he sang about the police. That was that nice. was loved that. That was a great song to teach kids. Definitely yeah, teach all your children to sing that. <laughs> Thoughts on Charlie Hunnam? Charlie Hunnam was a lot in this film. Isn't he a lot? Truly, I had forgotten how much I fancy Charlie Hunnam. He's really tall in this film, He's you know. He's so handsome. and it- There's a part that keeps playing in my mind when I think about this film, which is when he's, like, standing next to the horse and he's about to get onto the horse. And it just looks, <laughs> he just looks, like, so tall and lean. So it's just tall. mad. My other favourite thing about Charlie Hunnam in this film is that we have discussed Charlie Hunnam and his acting abilities before and his his accents. And when he started talking in this film, I leant over to you and said, oh my God, we've got to sit through basically another film where Charlie Hunnam has a really shit accent. And you were like, Steph, that's his literal voice. <laughs> He's got such a bastardised accent. So in, in this particular film, he plays like a police sergeant. So like a, a British sergeant that is now working and living in the colonies in Australia. And um, he does do his regional accent. So I was like, what is this crap Newcastle accent? It's so bad. I know, oh, it's just yeah. his voice. That's his voice. I think the thing is, is because he's basically been in a lot of like American programming, obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. quite famously in Sons of Anarchy for a significant period of time. You know, most people know perhaps realise that that's what he sounds like. I think it was an, an overemphasised Newcastle accent. I don't think he's that broad anymore. But I'm going to have to... I need to YouTube it, really, because it was it, it was, was a treat. quite shocking. It really reminded me... The only other accent that I've heard recently that I thought was that nutty was I listened to a podcast episode with one of the guys from... Forgive me. No, is it No Devotion now? But they were former Lost Prophets. Oh, yeah. And because they all live in America now. And it's like Welsh-American, truly the weirdest accent I have ever heard it's like what is your voice doing it's all over the place it was kind of <laughs> almost on par with that it was a lot yeah but there was a lot jarring. of naked charlie hunnam in this and that was yeah. quite wonderful george mckay okay go the floor is open i just so you haven't seen 1917 have you no did you fancy him in that i just fancy him it's really did you fancy him like in a very memorable way in that because he in is... a war context yeah yeah, because he's got such a sad face. He does. But he just... The sad face with the mullet worked quite well. Yeah, I, so I think the thing is, like, I really liked George McKay in Pride, but he was quite young in that, so mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't fancy him in that context. But he's very good in that film. If you've mm-hmm. not seen it, definitely recommend that. And then he's in a um, Viggo Mortensen film called Captain Fantastic from yeah, a few yeah. years ago, which is really, really lovely. He he's in a bad the... horror horror film called Marabone as well, which I... Oh, sure. And then he's also... So he's obviously in 19... 19- 17 and then he's in this but it's the mullet it's the mullet and his like very like normal simple boy man face (laughs) simple boy face well he just looks normal doesn't he like he just looks like he looks like someone you'd go to high school with he looks like a sixth former he looks like you know your mate from down the road he looks like an in-betweener april (laughs) he could just just be an in-betweener he's so good-natured and good of heart and he has a very lovely mullet in this and he He wears the shit out of this red shirt which he really does i've never fancied someone with a mullet before i think this is genuinely my first time yeah good starting point really really great starting point really into it backed hard is he uh, how old is he he's not like so i 
Oh no, he's fine. He's twenty eight. He's twenty eight. Yeah, perfect. Also, a, th- a fact about George McKay for fact fans out there is, um, I think that he was Saoirse Ronan's first boyfriend. Yeah, he was. He was. So you know, Which he's got good taste. Lovely She's got taste. Good taste. He's honoured, absolutely honoured to reach yeah. those dizzying heights because we all want to be there. That's a lot. I think we turned out to fan. Yeah, we fancied more people in this than I think we expected. Really, I still don't fancy Nicholas Holt though. Still, don't oh fancy God, Nicholas no, Holt. no, he's actually quite insufferable in this and horrible and vile yeah yeah that is true he plays an insufferable horrible person but i can't help but think that maybe that's him in real life as well who do i know that is slander i don't actually know that mm, at all i buy it though so generally i think the film's definitely worth a watch if, if and when it appears on streaming i think it'll probably appear sooner rather than later now because well they're going to be pushing everything to go on to streaming now aren't they but yeah it was nice it was interesting you know gave, uh, made me do some homework about history I in really australia at that time your, um wikipedia thanks Thank yeah so your sort of sparks notes on um, Ned Kelly and Australia there that was really Vaughn if you're listening and you want to give us any more additional Australian history lessons then uh, we are definitely open to it I really enjoyed our review here which balanced like <laughs> the nuances of costume with <laughs> mullets and George McKay so well done us truly on brand on to our main topic for the episode and this time we thought we'd do something quite comforting, really. Um, it's been a weird week. It's likely to be weirder for a little bit longer. So we wanted to have a chat about comfort culture, pop culture that we use as comfort during particularly difficult times. And I think this partly comes from the fact that in the past week in particular, we've probably both just gone back to rely on things that make us feel good. So uh, we might have had other plans, TV, music, film-wise, that we were going to, we thought we were going to be involved in, uh, in the coming weeks. And those have kind of all gone out the window now as we revert back to things that just make us feel better and take our mind off the world. So we're going to discuss some of the things that we've been enjoying recently or that we often turn to. And then a whole host of you actually have written in with your recommendations as well. So hopefully you'll find a few extra recommendations in here if you haven't seen or heard them all already and maybe they'll you can make a list and add add them to your to-do list for the next few weeks and it can be a nice thing to get all of us through because this is certainly one of those moments where you realize that actually as much as talking about this stuff is you know just a lot of fun it is actually something that we depend on quite a lot for our own sanity yeah completely and I feel like you're right we had so much sort of on the horizon that we're really looking forward to and and essentially like without being too kind of down about it a lot of it ongoing few months have just been wiped out completely obviously in a for the better yeah but it's it's been kind of quite hard to pass i think and it's made me kind of really have to sort of think about the sort of things I want to surround myself with at the moment Mm -hmm. and the things I found most useful at this time and actually for me I don't know if it's necessarily true for you but I've actually found myself turning to stuff that I didn't necessarily anticipate that I would do and I've I've definitely not reached out to my usual kind of like coping popular culture elements mostly because I think that's really interesting actually I'd be really keen to interrogate that more because I don't really know why and I think it's because this situation isn't normal at all no it's not something any of us have experienced before it's not like our usual life dilemma is it it's um pretty unprecedented completely and i think one of the things i think 
I do keep thinking about on that is actually that my concern is that the usual coping strategies I have with regards to like things I would listen, things I would watch. I think I'm just concerned that actually like they won't work this time around. So yeah, I don't want yeah. to sour it almost. So yeah, it's been yeah. it's been um it's been interesting actually to sort of see the direction that I've particularly headed in, mm. what stuff I've been avoiding, like the plague, what stuff I've actually found really useful at the moment so I've got a little list going Mm. I don't know what you've done your end yeah I've probably got a similar I mean I split mine a bit into kind of tvs and movies and stuff but um I don't know what you did but uh I've just got a rolling stream of consciousness like always do you want to go through your stream of consciousness then sure okay so this is titled things I've been enjoying since last week ambiguous title so we watched all of season three of the chef show on Netflix so this is John Favreau cooking program that he does with his uh, friend Roy Choi the two of them Mm. worked together when Favreau was prepping for a film he made called Chef so this is why it's called Chef Show and it's basically them cooking stuff together they get in other chefs they get in other celebrities and they've done three rounds of this now on Netflix and it's just Mm. really nice the episodes are like half an hour long this season there's a really great episode with Sam Raimi Mm. where they're cooking things from Sam Raimi's garden yeah and I mean I've, I've talked at length about you know my fondness for sort of food programming particularly that's a really interesting sort of I don't know that's a really interesting thing as well isn't it like going to food programs even if it's food that you wouldn't actually personally cook or eat and using that as comfort completely 95% of the things on this show I can't eat anyway because they're not vegan so it's just been a really nice distraction actually and there's something quite therapeutic about watching other people cook and talk about food and be passionate about food so that's one thing in particular today I finished Next in Fashion on Netflix Um, love it this was a total curveball I feel wasn't expecting this from you I don't really ever watch much reality tv anymore i used to be like super into like america's next top model project was that like Runway. uni uni years yeah like college yeah. and uni so i used to be sort of super into those kind of like competitive programming i mean i like i like like watching like great british bake-off but mm-hmm. and rupaul's drag race but i don't really engage with it beyond that anymore yeah. not necessarily throughout any particular reason but i just it's not there's no time I don't have time for it normally (laughs) there is no time but when I was asking kind of friends and and people about what they had been enjoying recently because I needed a bit of a distraction next in fashion was something that my friend Paisley flagged it's hosted by Tan France and Alexa Chung the best queer I member the best queer I member and it's basically just you know fashion designers competing each week it's a different theme clothing wise so like denim military sportswear different theme each week interesting military yeah I've, i mean i've watched all of it now i watched it all in three days it's been quite good to have so i'm now working from home and it's been quite nice like background distraction yeah 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 and previously i've never really been able to work from home with the tv on i just find it too distracting but actually yeah. it's been quite nice and comforting to have it on and i've just become really invested in it um, and i'm actually sad it's over now oh mate but i definitely recommend that anyone who's previously really enjoyed things like project runway like it's really nice and i'm not necessarily someone that has any particular interest in fashion like i mm. like clothes i like you know style all of that stuff but i'm not like a super fashiony person so it's been quite nice at the weekend we all watched Ocean's Eleven together. We did. We did a little FaceTime watch along with that. Um, Ocean's Eleven is one of my most favourite films in the entire world. I feel so like that is a real comfort watch for you. It was just comfort. I, I can absolutely quote my way through it. Tom was getting really annoyed. I can't remember. I don't know if you could pick this up from the FaceTime, no. but Tom was getting really wound up because I was just sat there quoting it because I just know every beat. 
word uh, for word. Love that, love that. Um, the previous evening to that, so I think Thursday or Friday night, I watched Scott Pilgrim versus the World as well. Another of my favourite films. Just love it. It's one of I think it's very ed- underrated in Edgar Wright's oeuvre. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just great. I can quote that verbatim as well. Back to the food front as well. I've been watching a lot of Bon Appetit videos on YouTube. I've talked about BA before, but um, a lot of the BA staffers now are working from home, various locations around the US, and it's been quite nice. They've been doing a lot of like stories and Instagram lives from home. That's, That's been really, really nice. lovely. Oh, what else? Oh, I spent like six hours w- listening to Bruce Springsteen last week. Oh, lovely. That was a real treat. I've been making a lot of playlists. Yeah, always a good shout. Doing some sort of playlist challenges, did a Talking Heads one, did a Bruce Springsteen one, really into trading playlists. Also on the mm. music front as well, uh, Sufjan Stevens released a new album Oh yeah, this week. that was... Did they re- did they push that out early? Yeah, they did. I think it was meant to come out maybe tomorrow or next I week. I feel like it was this Friday, maybe. Yeah, but it appeared early this week. So it's mm. um, called Aporia and it's a collaboration with his stepfather, Lowell Brahms, and it's, it's all instrumental. And it's sort of like strangely appropriate for the strange time that we find mm-hmm. ourselves in, mm-hmm. but I found it quite soothing. Definitely recommend that. Um, some other albums. I've been listening to a lot of Bleachers, mm-hmm. obviously. Jack Antonoff. Does it make you feel summery? Yes, it does. I've just remembered, sorry, quickly going back to High Fidelity. Oh my God, Jack We didn't Antonoff. talk about the Jack Antonoff of it all. Spoiler attack. Spoiler Jack alert. Jack Antonoff in High Fidelity. Don't worry, because I had read about Jack Antonoff being in it and then completely forgot. And then when I got to that episode, was like, holy shit. My actual um, heart. Jack Antonoff talking about falafel, the dream. For a prolonged amount of time. Right. I've been listening to a lot of Bleachers. I've been listening to his other project, Red Hearse, as mm. well, which is kind of a bit more poppy, a bit more kind of, I don't know, funky based. I've also been really enjoying the new Weekend record. Yeah, I listened to that the other day. It's got some weird parts to it. Like two thirds of the way through, I had to go back into Spotify and check whether it was the same record because I was like, this is like almost pop punky. What is going on here? It's really odd, isn't it? I think yeah. the thing that made me kind of so he was the musical guest on the Daniel Craig episode of Saturday mm-hmm. Night Live. And the person that he was performing with then um, is the guy that does all of the music for the Safdie Brothers films, including Uncut Gems. And Makes they've sense. worked together on this new album. I don't know, man. I've, I've not really cared about a weekend record in like years. So just been really enjoying that. There's also a, a new Fortet record, 16 Oceans. Again, mm. really into that. Oh, what's some other things? Uh, oh, I've been playing a lot of Sega Mega Drive. Yes, yes. Take us through this. So when it became apparent that I was soon going to be unable to leave my house ever, <laughs> I got really really irritated about the fact that I'd never really played any I don't have a gaming system at home like mm. we don't Tom and I not gamers not into it and then I remembered that I have my, at my parents house I had my Sega Mega Drive that I had mm. when I was a teenager my mum bought me it for my 18th birthday because I used to have one when I was a kid and then we got rid of it so mm. as an 18th birthday gift my mum re-bought me it and I I'd spent some time with my mum a few weeks previously and hadn't been able to find it and got really annoyed and then my mum found it. So we had to do this really awkward like social distancing exchange like one end of the driveway or whatever. And I and I got it and I only had three games because I we didn't know where the rest of them are and I was truly gifted. Like the thing I found is that like this has been a nice time where people are coming through for each other in particularly oh, kind yeah, of ways. Absolutely. So I posted a thing on 
on Instagram where I said like, oh, if anyone happens to have any games, ha ha. And then our wonderful friend Ashley and her husband Robin. Apparently has 5,000 games. This was like, you know when you just like, fuck me, the stars have aligned. Yeah. So I was gifted with like 15 other games and then our friends Mike and Ellie dropped some round as well. So I've just been having a really nice time playing Aladdin. What a lovely time. Streets of Rage. Other things as well. FaceTiming with literally everyone possible. This Mm -hmm. has been like the best thing actually having some semblance of a routine has been very important Um, i think yeah i've been also like i'm a really big fan of like newsletters and Mm -hmm. lots of people sharing their writing via newsletters and i'd noticed that over the last few weeks and lots of my kind of favorite people i follow on twitter had popped up with a lot of tiny letters that they'd begun writing because they were finding that actually they had a lot more time on their hands to sort of share words and stuff Mm -hmm. and i found those really good nice distractions as well i've been writing a little bit more myself as well which has been quite pleasant and also i've i don't know if this is true of anyone else i've been really struggling to read at the moment like i can't yeah yeah it's hard to concentrate i will uh yeah i agree with you my brain can't focus on on books i think our brains are not in the right place to be able to focus much at all i think there's a complete overload um all of our our brains are just in melt it's quite funny actually because when i realized i would be spending a lot more time indoors i I bought home and had like assembled a massive stack of stuff that i thought Mm -hmm. was just going to keep me occupied and i've not touched any of it so far but the time will come yeah i mean one thing i have found particularly useful is i've um been listening to some more audiobooks and i decided to revisit the on the road by jack carrack oh yeah um, yeah which is narrated by matt dillon the actor matt dillon Mm -hmm. and it's um it's an audiobook that i listened to quite a lot when i was at uni i wrote my undergraduate thesis Mm. Uh, on the beat generation and i'm just a really big karak fan despite all his flaws and it was something that i'd always really enjoyed in the past and i just really wanted to revisit it and it's been really nice it's been a really nice sort of comforting distraction Mm. so that in itself also we've been watching true blood truly truly we have that's been our that's part of our new routine isn't it every night we watch an episode of true blood before bed we do true blood would make an amazing drinking game firstly wouldn't it there are so many elements to it that I just adore. It is equally like so cringeworthy, but also just amazing at the same time. I'm really into it. I think the thing that I found quite funny about it is that we both keep like remembering plot points that are yeah to come. that are like three seasons ahead, but we're like, oh my god, I remember this. And then also just like fully acknowledging how absolutely absurd it is, but also the distraction of how absurd it is has just been so nice every night. It is fully like sixty minutes of me completely forgetting what's going on. Yeah. I'm so invested in uh, what's yeah what's happening so so that's yeah. sort of my list really it's a kind of a weird mishmash of stuff and also I will say hand on heart apart from like some of the music stuff most of that's not really necessarily stuff I would kind of spend a lot of time doing yeah, yeah. in my usual routine so it's kind of been it was quite funny to sit and reflect on the stuff that I found most comforting recently yeah. because I think it has just been so different to normal because it's not normal at the moment so maybe that's why I think maybe that is why actually it kind of makes sense we're currently existing on a completely different plane that's just very very weird until things calm down maybe that's what you need so what's some of yours then so mine uh, are actually just very typical really I'm almost like the complete opposite I've just like gone back to my old dependables that I always use all the time when I need them so TV as you said we're re-watching True Blood which is I've wanted to do a rewatch of True Blood for ages for years haven't got round to it didn't think I'd ever have the time so I guess that's kind of nice um, and it's nice that we're watching it together so highly recommend re-watching something or watching something new with someone else doing a live text or something like that's good fun I'm catching up on Riverdale at the moment because it's just absolutely 
I mean, it's so preposterous now that I'm almost angry about it, but I'm not because it's just absolutely hilarious <laughs> and can't believe they get away with writing that stuff and that so many people still continue to watch it like myself. So my go-to comforts are always like Monster of the Week episodes of TV shows. So I'll always go back to particular episodes of Supernatural, which I've mentioned loads of times as a TV show that like completely got me through particularly hard times. I just completely immerse myself in that. And there are so many episodes that it's really easy to do. So watching those uh, Monster of the Week episodes where there's a monster and something's wrapped up within that plot lines wrapped up within that episode is really nice. Mm -hmm. And you can do the same with X-Files and with Buffy, which I have got kind of like key episodes on my list that I want to dip into that I often like run in the background as well. Like even if I'm not watching them properly, I tend to put them on in the background, which I really like. And they're dependable characters, you know, they're people that I go to a lot all the time. I also watched, as I know you're starting to watch, The Tiger King on Netflix. Oh my God. Yeah, I started watching that today. Uh, So, so good. So there's a a podcast called Joe Exotic um, about this same guy, I think... I can't remember who did it now. I don't think it's Wandery. It might be Wandery. So Over My Dead Body, Joe Exotic. And I listened to that podcast probably about six months ago or whenever it came out um, and was like, this is preposterous, but really interesting. This TV show is like, I don't know, just even adding a visual element to it truly elevates it to kind of 10 times the amount of madness it was by podcast. Yeah, see, I don't think I realised actually that it was a podcast until someone pointed it out for me early today. It's the most insane thing. I'm only one episode in so far and I think you know I was texting you earlier while I was watching it just some of my standout bits and I just it just feels like a joke it is it's so funny it's also you know it's pretty tragic as well in some things I think the fact that this is happening around animals and the animals involved is the main tragedy here kind of don't give a shit about the actual people but uh the comp yeah the comedy value on this is it's just absurd it's fire no it's like super fire festival level of absurd <laughs> fire festival was something that you thought was completely batshit you should definitely watch that on netflix because it's just we binged it in like two days something stupid because it was just we needed something to be completely absorbed in that was really silly my go-to's with movies we haven't watched as many yet we started watching my well we all know that my old go-to is watching horror films even in times like this apparently would love to unpick why people do that i was having that conversation with a few people the other day on instagram about why the hell we turn to films like this mm-hmm. in times of crisis um, and there must be some really fascinating psychology behind it. I understand the science behind why people watch horror films sort of generally and like to yeah. be scared but it is funny that we still turn to them even when things are quite horrendous outside. Must admit I'm not watching any uh, films about anything contagious no, uh, 28 <laughs> Days Later or Contagion but um, Wes and I have kind of done this thing where you pick a theme and then you build a list of films to work through based around that theme so we had picked ghosts as a theme and were starting from sort of like some of the really old early horror films like house on haunted hill um and the innocents uh like some of the 50s 60s movies kind of going through them but it's quite nice to like yeah almost like a playlist like build a theme, yeah build a list of films to watch around a theme which is really, That's fun. really cool the first thing we watched also was hot fuzz that was like straight oh. off the bat the first thing we watched so i really like that we both turned to Edgar Wright films. Edgar Wright is and funnily enough when we get to what other people have been watching Alex also said that his comfort film was Hot Fuzz so there's definitely something about that. 
Anything by John Hughes usually works pretty well for me as well. And I feel like that's something I'll definitely fall back on at some point. And also, as a teenager, my go-to film to watch was Breakfast at Tiffany's. Like, whenever I needed a distraction, I was completely obsessed with that film. So I feel like if there's a time where Wes is out because he's not going to be interested, I will probably end up re-watching that just because it's a really nice film. I'm currently, like you, I have my, my ability to read has slowed right down. But I did take this as... Uh, an opportunity to finally read Little Women, which we have discussed many times before, and I hadn't read, so I'm currently getting through Little Women, and that is a nice, I mean I can only read it in very small increments, just because my brain I just can't focus at the moment, so you know, it's like ten pages at a time sort of, but it is very, very pleasant which is really lovely, so I would highly recommend that to anyone who hasn't read it before or wants to reread it. It's nice existing in a world where like, the worst thing you've got to worry about is who you're going to get married to. Actually, that's not fair because Beth gets very sick. I was going to say, Beth, Beth does get very sick. Well. Apart from that, though, you know. Laughs all around. Truly a romp. For something that's written in a really sort of like sweet, nostalgic kind of way, there is an awful lot of tragedy in there. But it doesn't feel like, I don't know, it doesn't feel tragic. Music-wise... Kind of similar to you, I've used uh, working at home as an opportunity to listen to a few things in the background that I haven't had a chance to listen to before. I also listened to New Childish Gambino, which was I liked, actually. Oh, cool. Kind of, I just remember it had a really strong opening, actually. The first few tracks were really strong. I really liked it. I have tried to do the playlist thing that you mentioned, because I know that was going around on Instagram. I'm supposed to be swapping a Prince playlist with our friend Jack. Prince's discography is rather large, so I am trying to work my way through it from the very beginning again this is what took me ages when oh, i did this so my springsteen playlist that i did again was for jack and it took me like took me two hours to yeah. just go through like springsteen's back catalog and have to sort of like remember some of the songs mm-hmm. on the albums and stuff um, yeah it was nice though it was such a perfect distraction so i'm glad that you're on it as well yeah yeah it's good to do with work as well so i've been like putting on a record and then listening to it through and then choosing two songs and then so um, based on that it's going to take me about two weeks to do because Prince has got about 40 records and I've even promised I'd listen to the shit bits so we'll see if I actually deliver on that promise I don't think I am going to get through Rainbow Children really but we'll see Nine Inch Nails released two new records today which are pretty much just kind of soundscapey they're called Ghost 5 and Ghost 6 but again make for very good background listening or even they're kind of relaxing it's it very much feels like in the vein of Atticus Ross and Trent Reznor and where they're at at the moment so that's been very nice um and also my go-to will always be The Cure because they're pretty much my favorite band of all time so putting on a bit of disintegration or something like that is always nice and calming for me I feel like disintegration would be such a good album to be listening to a lot of right now it is such a good album it was the first The Cure album I ever listened to like it was the first one I ever owned or listened to all the way through. It's just such a good record. It's like almost the wrong season for it now because we're kind of going into spring, summer. But yeah, it's still such a nice record. Just a very comforting voice for me, I think. So those have been things that I've been enjoying. I thought I would really use the time. You know, when you're like, yeah, I'm really going to binge loads of stuff, but I can't mm-hmm. quite bring myself to do it yet. It's amazing how, how I managed to pass the time actually doing fuck all a lot of the time. But... I'm sure we'll get into a rhythm of it. I feel like it's all about finding one's pace with everything at the moment. It's a completely different pace, isn't it? Completely. And I think the thing that I've found very interesting is sort of this weird 
leaning into kind of like thinking that we should all be super productive during this mm-hmm. time because mm-hmm. actually I think that's for me personally anyway I, I, I'm glad that I'm keeping busy I'm really welcome for the distraction mm. but I think the minute that I try and put too much pressure on myself to accomplish anything there's a huge amount of pressure there and I found that with not with work as in but because I work in the literature sector and so a lot of people that we speak to are aspiring writers or um, emerging writers you know all of these people are automatically putting pressure on themselves to like write the books that they've always wanted to write do you know what I mean like that sort of thing and that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself where we've all been thrown into this really difficult disruptive situation and actually just winding down and changing pace and getting used to the way things are currently is going to take a bit of time so yeah it's kind of need to be quite kind to ourselves I think and maybe these kind of comfort watches and listens can have a bit to do with that but yeah I think we need to not put too much pressure on ourselves to um to make the great piece of art that we've always wanted to or to renovate our house it uh it might not turn out that way needless yeah exactly quite a lot of people wrote in with their bits and pieces which was really nice getting the sense that watching tv and film is the ultimate escape here but um do you want to go through your bits that you got through twitter yeah so i mean i was really sort of quite heartened by the fact that lots of people responded and let us know what they were enjoying especially like over the weekend which i think Mm. was quite hard for a lot of people so Mm. i will just quickly blast through these so matt from the sequelizer said i've turned to dystopian fiction to remind me that as bad as things are they could be worse having said that i have but one non-film suggestion what we do in the shadows and i believe there he was referring to the tv show which you if you haven't watched you absolutely should because it's a real blinder emma woodhead said i've been binge watching gray's anatomy for the first time and it's the perfect corny drama show alice oseman's heartstopper series and all the online content that goes along with it has also been a nice break from reality and animal crossing being released on the switch has been a lifesaver i have also now have animal crossing on my phone which is a thing i never thought i would do no it was quite funny over the weekend actually i saw quite a lot of people were just like really embracing animal crossing (laughs) rinsing the simple pleasures of fishing on animal crossing completely completely get it so charlotte and he creative said we watched shrill which is fantastic rewatched girls and the whole of curb your enthusiasm this week's curb with john ham has saved us from insanity Anna said, I've been binging Shit's Creek from the start again. Makes me laugh more than any other show. I've also rewatched Sense and Sensibility and Pride and Prejudice. They just make me happy. I've also been, I love this. You're going to love this. I'm not sure if you've seen this. I've also been resorting to what I call Timothy te- Therapy by rewatching The King and Miss Stevens. Chemotherapy. And, and lots of his interviews galore. Tim, Timmy is the best pandemic blues antidote. Lisa said, I've been watching a lot of Criminal Minds. Read into that what you will. Oh, love it. She was slightly panicked about the prospect of it coming off Amazon prime um i feel your pain at suddenly having shows taken away that's the worst nightmare i hate when there's that deadline like it says like up here until you realize it's like a week away awful our friend lewis buxton gave us a whole overload of recommendations he said he's been rereading uh reading sorry michael shabon's wonder boys ada limon's the carrying and the poetry anthology emergency kit poems for strange times which is not as depressing as it sounds he said he also just started rewatching the bbc robin hood in which keith allen's steals the fucking show also newish brooklyn 99 is on netflix from next week and a very weird show called the tiger king which we've just touched on glad we're all resorting to (laughs) to tiger king 
<laughs> films as well from Lewis, Bedknobs and Broomsticks, Blinded by the Light, Taylor Thompson's Stands Up special from Netflix, uh, Supersonic and Mistress America. And then we ended up having quite a long conversation with Lewis about Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig. Um, Amazing. Flora said, I'm about to hunt down streaming sites for parks and recreation. I keep starting Netflix shows, The OA, Unbelievable, etc. But they're just too serious for the current Might climate. be a bit much at the moment. M from Verbal Diorama podcast said, I started watching Sex Education this week and I'm halfway through season two. It's cringy, hilarious and such a tonic right now. Jack from The Sequelizer said, I'm not much of a rewatcher, but Wayne's World is always a comfort film for me. For TV, Cowboy Bebop is probably my most rewatched show because I can watch it in any mood. My big escape is definitely video games, though. I've got a huge back catalogue of PS4 games to get through. Leah said, I watched Francis Ha for the first time yesterday and it gave me all the comfort I need. No matter how lost you seem to be, you're still on the right tracks. When the world is so confusing, it's great to have movies about mundane and ordinary life. Uh, I should have done all of the sequelizers in order, but I didn't. But so, so oh, here's Tim's. That's all right. It's like a spattering of sequelizers. <laughs> Smattering, not spattering. It sounds like Smattering. I'm murdering you. I'm so sorry. Splattering. Tim got in touch and said he's watching Criminal Minds. I am not okay with this. Rewatching Brooklyn Nine-Nine and Parks and Recreation, catching up on podcasts. In general, though, my go- uh, go-to comfort films include Almost Famous, Forgetting Sarah Marshall, The Martian, and Bring It On. And I think that's it. Cool. Amazing. I really back, like, well, I back all of those, I think. That's some really great choices. It's a nice variety. I really enjoyed seeing what everyone came up with. So um, what else have you got? So I have got, Vic said I'm re-watching all of the American Office and it brings me such solace and joy. Phil uh, is watching Only Fools and Horses. Classic. Only Fools and Horses is one of those weird things where it is really comforting. Also, so, it has aged so badly in so many areas. But I wonder if, um, I wonder if Only Fools and Horses is, th- is a thing that American and non-English listeners understand. I would love to know whether any Americans or non-English people have seen or enjoy Only Fools and Horses. If they haven't, can they please hunt it down and let us know what they think after watching one episode? I'd be so intrigued. Harbs said Rush Hour, which I'm fully back. Sure. Amazing. Ruby said Twin Peaks and X-Files. We're obviously the same person. Good show. But also Muppets Treasure Island. Great. I guess it's a not banger. really... Yeah, Such banger. a banger. It's not a good time for a Christmas Carol, is it? So uh, I would go to Treasure Island as well. Evan says, if I'm genuinely ill, I will watch Jurassic Park without fail. Have been doing it since I was about six. Love it. Uh, Cam has a very similar tactic to me. He said, I figured pick a subject and stick with it. So I went with vampires. My working list is Queen of the Damned, Interview with a Vampire, Nosferatu, Dracula, The Lost Boys, Fright Night, original and remake. That remake is questionable, but okay. Twilight, What We Do in the Shadows, Byzantium, Let the Right One In, 30 Days of Night, From Dusk Till Dawn, Only Lovers Left Alive, Blade, Underworld, and A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, which is amazing. No Stoker. No Stoker. No Stoker. Oh, actually, do you know what? He did mention Stoker. Okay. Um, and I added Near Dark, The Hunger, Salem's Lot and Thirst. Near Dark is so good. I have so Thirst good. downloaded actually to watch. At some oh, point soon. so good. Again, bit heavy, but great. And The Hunger is amazing for soundtrack and David Bowie. Wesley said Indiana Jones. He also plans to watch all of the Lord of the Rings extended edition. He can do that without me. And is currently re-watching Boardwalk Empire. Ashley said, I listen to ABBA as my mum loves them, so I think she just mainlined them into my ears for 19 years straight. <laughs> Comfort watches are Pride and Prejudice, Bake Off. There's something comforting about watching it all come together. And any David Attenborough documentary, that man is pure comfort. Uh, Love Like Spice said, Lucas Graham is wonderful. Thomas gave a whole list, so podcast-wise... 
He said uh, Las Culturistas is back for a new season of joyous frivolity, just in time to have a lot more free time slash working my way through two seasons of Invisibilia. That was a good podcast. Actually, yes. Reading, I can actually catch up on those quarterly football writing journals I subscribe to. <laughs> <laughs> also, my Christmas book list, Just Finished Sissy by Jacob Tovia and Stuart David from Bell and Sebastian's book. About to start season two of Pose slash Star Trek Picard. Bon Appetit video always. Other things, Instagram Live is a thing I use now. Spent an hour watching Bowen Yang and Julio Torres just chatting nonsense last night and it was very soothing. He did do that. I was with him when we did that. It was lovely. Also, the online acoustic gigs that specialist subject are doing. Steve says, I was comforted by watching Contagion last night. Even I draw the line at that. All of these people that are watching that film, you're so brave right now. You are very brave. Cannot. Says the virus in that is really bad. Didn't stop me worrying, but stopped me checking the news every hour, clicking that button to get that doomy rush. And then we both said, good grief, Steve. Also loved listening to Aldous Harding's work. Her lyrics are so mysterious, it activates my imagination, which is a welcome distraction. French pop like Strome, Stromai, Stromai, or, or Francois Hardy works the same way. The language difference means I absorb more of the emotion instead, and feeling something other than doom is welcome, especially when making the dinner or doing the pots. Absolutely. Faye said Dolly Parton. Love that. Von said anything where, this is so on brand, anything where sexually, morally ambiguous characters learn to be loved. I'd like to note that she's recently watched the Mission Impossible series Point Break Speed Die Hard Fast and Furious I've really enjoyed Vaughn's pivoting to like action films recently yeah I think it's a great distraction though. Really great, great distraction idea. perfect she also rewatched all of Vampire Diaries which was also on my list so uh, I greatly respect that uh, Lydia has been listening to podcasts, so she's been listening to Case File and Small Town Murder. Alex mentioned Hot Fuzz. Yaz said her comfort watches are Whip It, Pride and Prejudice, Spirited Away, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, very specific, About Time, What If, and Lilo and Stitch. Listens are Blink 182 Self Titled, The Greatest by Sia, High Violet by The National, and Currents by Tame Impala because it reminds me of summer. And Georgie said she's been watching quite a lot of crap, so I can switch off. <laughs> Love is Blind is awful but addictive. Just finished Next in Fashion, watched it in a day, and now on to The Stranger. There we go. Wonderful. So that's a whole list for us to just go keep us going for years. It's it's really really nice to see actually the real variety of what people have been um have been turning to. And um it's definitely given me lots of potential new avenues to go down over the coming weeks. I think so. It's brilliant. Continue sending them in as well. If there's anything else you discover, we'd love to see them. And I think everyone would uh, yeah, welcome some more suggestions with open arms. So keep up the good work. Absolutely. And what I'll do on the blog as well is I'll make sure I have a big compiled list of everything that's mentioned in this particular episode. So mm. if you are in need of some new things to explore, um, then you can use that as a reference point. So, obsession of the week. Do you have an obsession of the week? Yeah, I do. So, um, one is slightly old, so it's sort of like obsession of last last week. Well, it's not really last week. It was about a fortnight before all of this shit went down. The before time. The before time. You know, that like BC, basically. Literally BC. <laughs> I saw The Invisible Man at the cinema. Oh, you did, didn't you? Yeah, better than I expected. So if anyone cares, I don't know, tweet me. Aldous Hodge, who is in The Invisible Man, who is one of the friends of the main protagonist, is like an absolute snack. He's so... I think I sent you a picture because I was like, this guy is 
so hot. He plays a very muscular policeman. Can't remember at all if he's been in anything else that I've watched. But anyway, he's really, really hot. So that's, I think it's Aldis. Aldis? Aldis. Yeah, it's Aldis. I'm just looking at his... Um, he's oh, so handsome. See, I recognise him because he played MC Ren in uh, Straight Out of Compton. <laughs> Ah, there you go. Yeah, he is an absolute snack. So um, look him up if you want. And also, I've just been really into us doing some sort of ongoing shifting ranking of everyone we fancy in True Blood. Oh my God. So, oh shit. I've just realised that Aldous Hodge, holy shit, he plays Ray Voodoo Tatum in Friday Night Lights. Oh, is oh it my God. Friday Night Lights? That's what it is. Dang. There we go. Dang. I thought he looked familiar. What a handsome man. Good for him. He's very handsome in this. Great guy. Yes. Our um our true blood. So my obsessions of the week are any day where I manage not to cry at this point. But also <laughs> well done. My, <laughs> but also mostly television, specifically watching True Blood with you, trying to work out who in True Blood is actually hot, and then remembering True Blood plot points. <laughs> Oh my God, so much. And I love this constantly shifting idea of who is actually hot and who is like, I've been stuck indoors for too long hot. <laughs> like, only been a week and I'm already questioning whether I'm just like... So a thing I think I did say to you is that when I started watching Next in Fashion, as per recommended by Paisley, she explained to me this concept of pandemic goggles, which her friend had told her about because Paisley started saying that she started really fancying Alexa Chung when she was watching it and she told a friend this and a friend had said to her, well, actually, that's just pandemic goggles because you've been indoors all day. And I think that I think there is a lot to be said about the fact that we're just spending a lot of time inside looking at screens at the moment with very little other human contact it's completely god it's completely warped my i mean it was bad enough to begin with but it has completely warped my idea of what is attractive now anyone who has a shower is attractive now (laughs) is bill compton hot who can say literally couldn't tell you objectively eric is hot obviously shows without saying i'm fairly confident that objectively sam is hot sam is hot that's objectively true yeah 100 percent big question mark over Bill so would be interested to see what other people think is he hot or are we just confused you know who's not hot though Jason Stackhouse yeah now this we have to admit and be honest that we did flip-flop a bit on this April uh there were times where we weren't quite sure whether he was attractive or not but I think we are landing on the side of not attractive. I don't think he's hot. I think he's vile. Who knows? Might change again. Couldn't he was you. hot for a, like two seconds. And yes. then I was like, no, he's disgusting. I think we need to be pretty open it. about those two seconds. Yeah, but fine. it was, it, yeah, it. that was sort of the, not even the opening, like, yeah, maybe the first 20 seconds. And then uh, also yeah. Lafayette, really hot. Lafayette is an absolute babe. And I cannot wait for Alcide to turn up. Oh my God, Alcide. Or eggs. Or eggs. Eggs. <laughs> What's, what, what is our favourite part of this? Apart from shouting woof every time Sam comes on the screen, what is our other favourite thing to do? Are you going to let me do it? Yeah. Suck it. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Suck it. Suck it. Beal. It's brilliant. Beal. Suck it. Can everyone just go and watch True Blood? It's so much oh my God. fun. What absolute... It's like Twilight on crack. It's just... It's it's like, I think the thing with True Blood is if you think about it too much, you realise how preposterous it oh, is yeah, and you just can't that. watch it. you got to go with the flow, the really weird flow. Go with it. Yeah, it's completely. Great. 
highly recommended. On that topic, we should probably wrap wrap up and go and watch True Blood. We should. So um, that's us done. You can find us online. Twitter, we're at the thirst, soundcloud.com forward slash the thirst pod. You can subscribe and review us on Apple Podcasts by searching for the thirst. You can also find us on a variety of other podcast platforms, including Spotify now. Uh, our Instagram handle is at the thirst pod. The thirst pod.wordpress.com is our blog. And also we're on Facebook uh, at the thirst pod. Bye. Bye. Bye.